Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not a Genre, the interview edition. I have no idea what uh, episode number this is because I'm not sure where it's going in the season yet, so you're just going to have to check the handy graphic. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. Don't forget you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash genre. The audio version is at anchor.fm slash genre. My public hub is youtube.com slash nickdimatteo, where you get the, these videos and many more things. My global official site is nickdimatteo.com, where you get more than just the podcast and the music. And speaking of the music, nearest and dearest to my heart, please visit recarea.bandcamp.com, where Rec's new album, Rec Collection, the best of Rec 2007-2020, has just been released, or will have been released before this comes out, whenever this comes out. And you can also find it on any of the streaming services. Plenty of ways to support here. But as always, the most important thing is you are watching and listening right now. Thank you so much. My guest for this edition, somewhere in the high 20s for interviews, I don't remember which one, is Bob Adams. He is the director of instrumental music at Triton High School down in New Jersey, where I grew up. In 2021, his indoor percussion ensemble won the Atlantic Coast Championship. He is also an ordained minister of the Universal Life Church and has been to the North Pole. Bob, how are you today? I'm great, Nick. Boy, what a uh, what an introduction. I like that. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm going to uh, number this uh, edition as Pi, all right? Is that good? <laughs> Very good. Yes. Let me make a note here. Pi. Oh, great. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm flattered uh, that you uh, asked me to do this, and uh, I'm uh, looking forward to finding out stuff about myself. <laughs> Ooh, okay. <laughs> the pressure's on me now to, to, to you know, dig deep. Uh, yeah, I'm very happy that you're here. Uh, so my first question, which is responded to by varying degrees of complexity, and this one I think might be a fun one, is how do we know each other? Ooh, okay. Well, let's see. Your father and my ex-mother-in-law are brother and sister. Yes, Okay, so that's like the official tie. But more importantly, is like the musical bond that since I met you and your dad, I'm not going to leave Dave out, but it was like the musical portion of it that drove me in that they're both incredible musicians. And I've enjoyed the conversations and just the thirst for knowledge that has always happens at every Easter, used to be the christmas eve and then easters and uh, i just enjoyed that so much because i'd always walk away with more information and it was just casual and fun and not boasting just 
talking and that's uh that's the big tie i think yeah i i completely agree i mean you know we have groups of friends and family all over and it's it's a lucky thing when you stumble upon one who has not just common interests, but interests that you're that passionate about. And that's that, you know, we've known uh, each other since the, uh, the mid eighties, I guess. And, you know, it's, it's always been a pleasure to whenever we did get together for holidays or, or elsewhere to talk about music. And I find it interesting that our, you know, our musical experiences are different yet. We still find the common ground where we, you know, we can talk about pretty much anything And along those lines, it kind of leads to my second question, which I ask everyone. I've known you for that long, but there are probably many things I don't know about you, uh, especially uh, in terms of your musical history prior to me knowing you. So can you tell everyone, however you interpret this question, your story? Okay. That's not in my notes. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Surprise! (laughs) Oh, that's good. Props. I like props. Um, well, let's see. Grew up in a musical family. My father was a musician always since from being a teenager. My mother also played the piano, and I later found out the trumpet too. But my father continued to play it for me. He took lessons. He used to get. He lived in Wildwood Crest, and he would get on the train and go up to Philly to take lessons. I don't remember with whom, but nonetheless, it must have been something. He was a a much better musician than he let on. Like he was very humble about his playing and. Apparently, at one point, he was really good. He played in the army band, not the president's own. And he he served in uh, during the Korean War. He saw combat time, which way actually became kind of a joke. It's like, but I'm here to play the clarinet. Oh, yeah, right. Here's your bayonet. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it was his, his jokes. But anyway, he um, continued to play. And then it, I think it fell off a little bit when, you know, he uh, met my mother and they had family. So he wasn't playing as often. I remember he was playing in some community bands, but he always had, he would just pick up and play. And then he, when he started playing in community bands regularly, once my younger brother became a bit more independent, you know, I started to see more because then we'd actually wind up being at the same, we would be in the same community band sometimes which was fun, but he's down in the clarinet section. I'm all the way back in the trombone section, but still just the the thrill of it, of being part of it. One of the coolest things that ever did happen was that for a couple of years, I directed the pit orchestra at Sterling High School for their musical and I hired him. <laughs> and it was like, it, it, the book required, I forget, was it Anything Goes or, uh, no, Girl Crazy, uh, another great Gershwin uh, musical. And I needed a sax player and a clarinet player, but I, I never really heard him play sax, but he said he did. So fortunately, it's like, you know, he barred one from uh, a colleague and I heard him practicing. I was like, okay, this is like the best kept secret in the world, you know? So anyway, it was a real, a real blast to be able to conduct my dad. And it was about 1986 or so, something somewhere in that zone. And this is the last thing on that that I thought was kind of neat. That Fast forward, now a band, a band director here at Triton, and I'm doing a piece of music, and it had this odd clarinet trill. And of course, the internet wasn't what it is now. So like you just you had to go look at books, actually, to find some of this stuff. So I called him at work. And I said, I said, uh, dad, it's like, you got a minute? Yeah. So I said, do you, uh, how do you trill from high? I'm going to say D flat to E flat on a clarinet above the staff. And he pauses a minute and goes, oh, you're playing Jupiter, aren't you? Oh, wow. <laughs> like, how'd you know that? He goes, well, that, 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 
that's in that piece and it's that's always a difficult one unless somebody you know you, you know so it's like a, it's an awkward trill apparently not written by a clarinet player you know because <laughs> it's an orchestral transcription too so into band so anyway it was like that I, that always sticks in my head it's always a fun thing that's cool. i've had this this influence in my life uh my older brother is a very uh accomplished pianist but he he left the house when i was 12 12 he moved out so up to that point, you know, it's like I'd hear him practicing at home somewhat. And, uh, you know, he played legitimate music, too. And I would occasionally hear him play pop music and stuff. But he was very good. And he went on to have a career in that area. And since I had a younger brother, 10 years younger than me, I went up being like essentially the only child. Because there were never all three of us were really grown-ups in the house at the same time, which yeah. was good. Because then my parents left me alone and I could, and I spent so much time listening to music way more because I just want to have my own go in my room, put on my headphones and uh, my cost pro four AA or with the liquid filled stuff, you know, I was just so Ooh. thrilled about it and playing a lot of vinyl and uh, that background. I was always taking lessons from the time I had a gr- great, great music education in elementary school. Our band director was also, his name's Pete Colangelo. He was throwing the trumpet players on the Mike Douglas show. So he would chase the jazz band. Let's go, let's go, let's get out of here. I got to be out of here by 3.15. I got a four o'clock downbeat. Let's go. You know, <laughs> it's so funny. It's how many times like those words come out of my mouth and it sounds just like him. Uh, and then they had no, there was another guy came in. Uh, his name is Jim Riley and he was a trombone player. And of course that was awesome. So then he was my teacher through elementary school. And then I took private lessons to him through all through high school. And he totally prepped me to go to Glassboro State where he went where then I would study with his teacher and that worked out real well. Even there was a space in between where I wasn't real thrilled about being a musician. I was going to be a bricklayer because <laughs> oh. my freshman and sophomore year, I didn't go to my regular high school, which was Sterling. And I went to uh, what they called then Vokey. And uh, it was hard to get into then. Mm. It was a privilege to get there. And uh, so I was doing Brookline, had a blast. Still, I've made a lot of money even since then, built projects. And But then I realized it's like I wanted to be an architect. But then I realized I didn't have the math capacity. I said, but I, that didn't happen. So I went back to Sterling and go like, nah, that's not going to happen. And still playing all the time and uh, being in the band back again. It's really what I enjoyed doing. And I decided to be a music major. So that was that. I uh, went then for five semesters. At Glassboro State, which was, uh, you know, now Rowan University. Then I had the opportunity to travel with a USO band. I don't know if that's a different question or should I just keep rolling? <laughs> Go for it. No, this okay. is great. So got done playing a jazz band. Kind of, I'm halfway through my junior year because like now it's like I can almost smell graduation. Like I'm, you know, a friend of mine who was graduating actually in that December, a good friend of mine, he was playing piano and they came to hear him play at the jazz band concert. These people who were putting together this AP show band that was going to do a European tour. So I'm just standing there with him after the concert because, you know, we're going to go out. And he says, um, you know, and this guy's talking to him. And he goes, uh, yeah, Randy, you're great. And it's like, you know, we really want you to join you. You think you can make that work? It's like, well, we really would like, you know, we need one more horn player and we'd like to get another sax player. Like well, the guy who's the tenor. We need a tenor player, you know, because I was so not obnoxious. I just like chime right and go, how about a trombone? <laughs> where, I don't know where it came from. It just. Flew out of my mouth, and the guy looks at me and goes, yeah, that would work. Yeah, I like that. It's like, because hard. obviously, a trombone player is a lot harder to find than saxophone players. Mm-hmm. So he said, and here's one right here. He goes, are you interested? I said, yeah, I'm interested. He goes, "You want can we go play a duet just to see, like, how you and I sound together? 
I'm like, yeah, it's like nine o'clock at night after a sound check and a concert, but what the heck, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I go in, we play. He goes, I'm, I'm good. I said, let me just check with my parents, see what's going on. And then next thing you know, I'm not going back to school in January. My parents were not happy. Because at that point, nobody in my family graduated college. Right. My older brother only went one year and he was done because he went on the road. Now, here I, they've invested now five semesters in me. They see, and, you know, it's like my skill levels were a bit less. So uh, the big picture. So it's like, oh, okay. And so they were not happy about that situation. So I did it anyway. Uh, so I toured. Rehearsed with them January, February, March, while keeping a part-time job. And then uh, April took off and then spent seven weeks in Germany and two weeks in Iceland, which was fabulous. Whoa. Came back over to back again. This is for the department, the USO, which is part of the Department of Defense. And we played in military installations throughout southern Germany for the most part. And then in Iceland, there's a big, gigantic base there. And Iceland is beautiful. Greenland's a chunk of ice. Just right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know that story, right? Yeah. yeah. The, so that the area it's Bavaria is, has a lot of American occupation in it. That was wonderful. We got to play anywhere from a garage with 12 people into it, into a small stadium, you know, with a couple of thousand. And uh, most of the time, though, it was in auditoriums with a couple of hundred. And, you know, we would park ourselves somewhere and then make day trips out, then have a travel day to go to another city and then do day trips out of it. And it was a wonderful, wonderful way to experience uh, Germany, you know, and be cared for because we were somewhat celebrities because we were the entertainment. We hardly ever had to carry anything. They would fight mm. over who's going to carry our stuff. It was like, no, no, I got it. I, cool, dude. I got my horn. You can do everything else. <laughs> and they were very, very helpful. And it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. So, and then it's like, it was kind of like nothing going on this summer. Went back to selling shoes. <laughs> other things. Then the same band on a non-military tour, we took a, uh, did a month in Alabama and a month in Michigan playing in a hotel. And that was fun, you know, and swimming in a pool on Saturday, uh, snowmobiling on Wednesday, yeah, literally. <laughs> but anyway, so again, seeing the country again, traveling, being independent, you know, saving the money. And then we did a, a two weeks in Greenland, then left the day after Christmas the following year, uh, which would have been still 1981 going into 82. And that was a blast. You know, it's dark all the time and it's a city, it's an entire city. Like and for entertainment, they take the two and a half ton trucks out and do donuts on the on the ice. <laughs> I go, isn't this dangerous? Why? It's a mile thick, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, that's just kind of the fun stuff. Wow. You know, and that band uh that was preparing for then a Pacific tour which would have been Hawaii, Philippines, Guam, and Japan. And I at that point I left because I was getting tired of being on the road, but then that tour was canceled. So I didn't feel so bad. Uh -huh. And those folks went on to do other things too, in different capacities. I had the great fortune to work with some really fine musicians. I mean, all I did was play my horn, sing some tunes and write essentially. So I went from being like an average mediocre college music major to being at the top of the heap because I had that year and a half to grow up. So it was like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, and then people graduated too. it made some room. So it was kind of nice. Nonetheless, though, I, I understood the concept of somebody saying like, well, you know, you need to know this because and that's like I went back going like, I know I need to know this. So uh, let me buckle down because right. you know, I could play I, that burden was lightened a little bit because my chops were together mm. and my maturity had gone up. So that was that. 
So played in some bands, did a lot, I've done a lot of session work since then. Basically then all my casual work and band work, uh, worked with a lot of different people, a lot of different situations, conducting and so forth as well. Uh, but playing the horn has kind of dribbled off. I was sleeping doing marching band, working 70 hours a week, plus in the fall. It's like there's no time for that. So that kind of went away. So I don't, I don't play a lot anymore, but I'm planning on getting back to that. Okay. <laughs> wow. No, that was great. Jeez. Yeah. And and it's just like I said, there's so much I didn't know. And that's actually, it's fascinating. I didn't know that you had toured that much in all the exotic places that you went to. And that that's just the, the trombone stuff because then I had opportunities to, uh, while I was doing my certification and then going into graduate school, they had this thing down at Rowan or Glassboro State called the, the Hollybush Festival. And it was an, literally international. I mean, they brought in a lot of heavyweight people to do these full-fledged opera productions. And I did four of them there that I auditioned for the chorus because actually at that point they had their trombones were taken care of. And the days I was there, it was actually I went up being in the concert choir, which I thought was a nice compliment to my musicianship. Then I started studying privately too, which they loved the people that were, I was working with as a husband and wife team because I could read, I could breathe. You know, my intonation was good, but I didn't have any bad habits of singing because I didn't have any habits at all. You know, I just applied my trombone playing to it. So they were like, you know, a kid in a candy shop, you know? And it's like, I was like their, uh, their experiment for a little while. Cause at that point I was 27 so my voice had gotten, you know, a little bit more mature. Sure. And then getting the training of singing in these opera choruses was a blast. And culminating, I mean, you know, did Carmarina Barana three times. One time it was staged. A couple of different ones. Uh, Tosca. I had to lay on the floor as a prisoner. That was great. Got paid well for it. <laughs> <laughs> Got laying there going like, wow, look at that guy. He's from the Met. And look at him go. And, uh, <laughs> probably one of the coolest things, though, was a rare staging of... Prokofiev's uh, The Love for Three Oranges. Oh. And it was done in the original Russian because it's also commonly done in French, which I would have bailed on in a heartbeat. (laughs) But the Russian was, and they they taught us enough need to know Russian, you know? So, I mean, I couldn't remember a single word, you know? And, but I knew the gist of what we were saying. That was about it. And they taught us to do it. And we sang sang it in Russian. Memorizing it was a bit tough because a lot of stuff doesn't even translate directly. You know, which made it a little bit more chant and it was transliterated because you're dealing with different alphabet and everything else. But they took care of us because nobody was fluent in Russian by any means. And uh, all the leads were like were big deal people from the Met and other parts of the country. The conductor was from Romania. And and the director was from Russia. And they would like scream at each other like like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about what to do and how to do it. And we just be there like this because we don't know what they're saying, you know, and somebody else, no, it was a blast with like 53 people in the orchestra, which in the pit is like nuts. That was a real hoot. That was an incredible experience. I'm so grateful for. So that's come into play, you know, my singing stuff too. Cause when I started teaching middle school, it was, I was doing general vocal. Okay. Not a band director. So um, that worked and you know i had some vocal training also from the concert choir you're a baritone or yes yeah okay yeah my uh son uh colin is going to school for classical voice and he's sung in several languages hasn't touched russian so you know yeah it's a real uh it's very different because like you can't relate it to i mean like if you understand italian you can pick up words in french you know it's like there's things that i know they're very different no nobody be mad at me but i mean it's like when you're looking at like the european languages you can find connections between them Mm -hmm. 
but it's like even even German with with the guttural sounds, but then Russian it's like there's a whole different palette of sounds completely. Wow. And it's like okay, and so it's like I'm singing in Russian with an Italian accent. I mean, it, yeah, wow, <laughs> which, which I never thought about, but that's funny. Uh, it's fun. Yeah. And before I forget, I've got to tell you that my favorite brass instrument has always been trombone. So. Oh, and understandably. <laughs> yeah, damn right. Yeah. Respect a good trombone player. Now you said you said briefly, you said you also write. Is that right? Oh, I was writing arrangements when I was on the road. Uh I am not a composer. Right. Okay. But I am an arranger. Oh, nice. I got oodles of stuff. Sometimes because I had to, you know, uh rearrange some things to make them pliable. At different points in my marching band career, I've gone from writing the whole book to just writing the meaning winds and percussion. In the beginning, I was writing just the horns parts, the wind parts, and then I'd have somebody else writing the percussion stuff. And that's usually the way it's done with the level that we were competing at. I'm very fortunate to work with some great, great writers over the years, which I'm going to sidestep a minute. Yeah. My philosophy about success is to surround myself with people who are better than me. (laughs) whatever they do <laughs> really yeah. and it's like i'm not why you do this you know <laughs> so i call the yeah. plumber and the electrician i can take care of the bricks <laughs> right <laughs> but uh, i've been very fortunate and learned a lot about percussion instruments and writing and technique and so forth marching band doesn't exist anymore for us we have a pep band our percussion ensemble has become our primary thing our elite performing ensemble of the school then I've been writing the that book now for three years, and uh, I'm I did it partially. No, actually, it's more than that. But anyway, started out like co-writing, and then because different people come and go as they get different jobs, and so I've been writing it uh, the last couple of years and really enjoying it because I can really focus on the things that I like. Now our percussion ensemble is a concert ensemble. It's not a not like a drumline thing that you would like the movie. Picture the uh, percussion section of an orchestra. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like that kind of thing because we do a lot of concert music. So we're dealing with you know seven, eight mallet instruments, and then then the battery stuff and all. Can we can use electronics uh, to a certain degree? And, oh, um, and I've learned a lot, asked a lot of questions. Now I'm at the point where like I know how to have fun and not stress to write yeah. you know, which is really cool it's like okay yeah i have deadlines but i mean i mean i already like jotting down stuff and we're not going to start until december and i already have you know ideas so it's, that's the writing stuff you know i've dabbled in other arrangements uh other ensembles you know as i need them and it's like hey mr adams can we play such and such in the concert you know it's like well let me take a look uh, there's nothing in online here all right, we okay. It's a trio. I can make that work for you. Yeah, keeps you going. So I am not a composer. Absolutely not. I cannot come up with an original thought on my own that doesn't immediately start sounding like something else. Oh, I got it. <laughs> and it's like, but give me something to run with. I'm okay. Yeah, I can. I can manipulate it. You know. Oh, you want to change the key signature and the modality? I'm in. You know. Excellent. Which is one of my yeah. favorite things to do, especially with percussion. Oh, you want to? We're gonna play the carousel waltz. In five. I know that, but not quite, you know? Yeah. So, just having some fun. Hey, I got to have fun. And um, that that's super important at this point in my life. I'm not having fun. It's time to go home. I completely agree. I mean, why waste time? You know, at, you're already, especially if you're already good at what you do, then enjoy it, you know? Yeah enjoy every moment of it 
Now, it's rare. I have interviewed performers, writers, educators. It's rare that any of them have had so much performance experience and education experience. And you, you've, you've had so much of both. What was it that struck the match for you as far as becoming, a, you know, like a lifelong educator? I was substitute teaching since I had my 60 credits. So that would have been like 1980. So a lot of times, um, you know, it's like I didn't have classes on Friday. So I'd make myself available to substitute because I always had like my night job usually was in retail or bartending. I suppose that's retail. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> that I, I was substitute teaching and, you know, it was always cool to get a music teacher's position, especially if I was going into, like, I, I was a handful of schools that I was doing it in, and I knew the teachers, and they would give me latitude. It's like, instead of giving out this crossword puzzle, why don't you rehearse this? Are you good with that? You know, if there was a note there, knowing it might be me, you know? And that was cool, but then I got, I was actually just finishing up music directing The Sound of Music, which is the first time I was a music director for a musical. Like, the whole soup, the nuts, teaching all the vocal parts, contracting the pit, conducting the shows, the whole nine yards, which I had a blast. And it was, again, I had some kids that were just amazing. So this is 1985 at Sterling. And I had just finished that and uh, closed it. And like, I got called into sub for the band director. By the next day, he was let go. Yeah, they had to fire the guy. But they asked me, said, do you want to sub for band to the end of the year? Now, I was already having fun. Like, I knew some of the students from, from doing the musical, I went to school there, so I knew my coworker and I knew people there. And I'm like, yeah, you know. And then I thought about it and went, well, no, I won't be the sub, but I'll be the interim band director. And the principal slash superintendent looks at me and goes, what do you mean? I go, well, if I'm the sub, I'm only going to get sub pay, right? And you want me to run the program. You have a trip lined up. You have graduation and a concert lined up. And understand if John Philip Sousa walked in the door tomorrow, it would still take him a while to get used to where everything is. Understand it. Tomorrow morning, I can drop the baton first period and continue rehearsals the way those students have been used to been doing it. There'll be very little break in continuity, only because I've been here. Yeah, Sousa's cooler, but I've been here. <laughs> and he thought about it. He goes, I don't know. I go, and if you want me to do the after school stuff for the jazz band, because you want that at the concert, I assume, then I'm going to have to be prorated on a stipend. And he goes, this has never happened before. Uh, Let me talk to some people. And he came back and he goes, okay, so you have to do two weeks at sub pay because that's how it's, it's already established. After that, you're going to be an interim and then you're going to get one one eightieth of bachelor step one per day. Now, that means I'm rolling in dough compared to what I was making. <laughs> nice. It's like, wow, yeah. I mean, wow, a three-digit paycheck. Holy smokes. <laughs> so actually, that that really got me going. And then that's when I really enjoyed myself. And I was jaded, I guess, against it for some odd reason. I had no idea. I, I don't want to do that. I guess horror stories I've heard. But at this point, also, I'm 25. So that makes a big difference. And so I went back to school and got my certification to teach because my original bachelor's degree that I received in 1984, two years late because I took the time off to travel, mm -hmm. was, a, was a performance degree. Right. So that's when I came right, back. Gotcha. It took yeah. me three semesters to get certified to teach. So by December of 86, I'm now certified to teach. I'm 26 years old. Then I wound up getting a couple of long-term, a couple of sub-positions, then a long-term sub-position at 
Glen Landing Middle School, which you're from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The person that was the band director left to go to deal cards, actually, in Atlantic City and said, you don't want to do this anymore. And so principal said, do you want to be the band director at the end of the year? I'm like, yeah. Because now I was like, this is cool, right? He says, what I want to do is then next year I have to make decisions because there's a vocal music, vocal general guy and a band director. But the vocal music guy wanted to be the band director. So they had to kind of, because he'd been there for 20 years, they kind of had to do that regardless of qualification. Right. And I became general vocal. So I, that's fine. It all worked out. Because then I almost immediately, I became the assistant band director at Triton. Okay, so it's 1987. Yeah, yeah, that's about it, right. So uh, I get a job teaching general vocal at Glen Landing. And that the summer, actually, of 87, then there was an opening to be the assistant band director for marching band, which is, you know, I only was there for marching at, at night and weekends at Triton. And that all, that's what I did then for the next seven years. Then I started here actually January 2nd, 1995, and became, I was the heir apparent from being the assistant. And there was really a, a, a no brainer as far as administration was, because I knew, all, again, I was here. I knew all the kids, you know, it was, I had proven myself and there was a lot of candidates, but I was the known one, you know, and uh, the principal at the time, you know, he liked me and thought everything was good. And, and I've been here since 1995. Wow. The competitive band was already, you know, the guy before me did a great job and taught me tons of things. And I'm, his name is Bob Frampton. Shout out to him because he was like, he won't probably see this, but I don't care because he taught me so much. It's not even funny. And it's like primed me to move in and not, not to move in and continue, but to move in and run further. Times were changing too. The school was becoming overcrowded very quickly. We went on staggered sessions, which was a complete mess. Mm. Um, they built Timber Creek and they kept moving the lines. And then all of a sudden, like, then my band, which I was, I was marching 55 musicians, went down to like 30 in a heartbeat. Numbers stabilized a little bit and they go down and down and down. And then finally it got to the point, even, I mean, we won an Atlantic Coast Championship in 2001, which was mind boggling for us. And I guess about seven South Jersey championships or so. And, and then the numbers kind of plateaued. They were okay for a while. And they started to go down a little bit more. And just because of the times and moving the boundary lines again, uh, who goes to what school, still squeezed another Atlantic Coast championship ship out in 2011. Then it, it was diminishing. I mean, we're still staying in top 10 all the time, but wow. you know, it just was diminishing and diminishing the numbers and it became a little bit harder. And finally got to the point where the current principal, who I adore, she's wonderful. She just so supportive. Melissa Shepard's her name. And uh, I get a dollar. Okay. Uh, but it's true. Like she gets it, you know, and uh, I'm glad that, uh, you know, her wisdom was like, you're shoveling sand against the tide here. My word's not hers. And I just needed to shove because it was getting to the point where even if the band was spectacular, there's not enough people in the field to generate effect. You know, that's how the judging system works. I mean, like help that, you know, I mean, they take it into consideration, but you know, it's just part of the, how things work. So then that point we went to, it was 2018, I guess we went to a pep band format, which instead of spending four months for finding seven minutes worth of music, I have 40 tunes in the pep band book oh. you know, from, <laughs> from seven different decades, you know, and everybody's happy, you know? Nice. So, uh, you know, it's a whole different thing. And then when COVID came along, that certainly, if marching band wasn't over, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at first I, I'm like, but this is all I've done my whole adult life. 
Right. And then it was like, oh, you know what? I got better things to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, but look at the trees changing color. How about <laughs> always missed that? It was a big nut to swallow, but it didn't take long at all. Yeah. It's like, hey, it's Saturday and I'm home. <laughs> hey, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. And there's there's other factors too that went into it, but that's that's just the nature of the beast and lots of programs. All three of our schools are in pep band mode now. And um it just the only way and I find more and more schools are doing it because they just don't have the numbers the way they used to. Only the districts that still have developable area mm. you'll find. Like Kingsway is busting at the seams. You know, he gets 30 freshmen in by blinking. You know, and uh, my good friend down there does a great job. And, you know, and they go up even with Jackson was another one. It's like Jackson Memorial High School used to was marching like 280 until they built the second school. And within a couple of years, they had two bands of over 200 anyway, wow. because, <laughs> because they're just, they're just like there was nothing but farmland. And it's they're built. They were building for decades. And now all those kids are getting hit in high school. Yeah. So, uh, in certain places, it's really thriving. Other places not so much or being modified and the indoor thing works real well for us because uh well first of all it's it's not weather dependent and it's smaller groups especially with it being a concert ensemble we can practice in a cafeteria we don't need gym space or field space that's true and everybody's happy so there you go wow (laughs) well and so the changes resulted you said in in a, a win last year yeah uh we actually we have eight 18 Atlantic Coast championships under our belt in 22 years of competing. Oh my God. Incredible. I think I have those numbers right. I know the 18 part is right. I'll see. Yeah. Something like that. It's close. But yeah. That was our eight. This past year was our 18th Atlantic Coast championship. That's incredible. It's thank you. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And half of it is just, having the kids buy in and commit yeah which is getting tougher because of commitment time but nonetheless again i was surrounded by people along the way they showed me what to do i can call up people if i need to but i always pick music that i really enjoy so it makes it easy for me like this, the show that we just finished is was called spies in three four five and it was all tv spy music yeah so we started with mission impossible you know, that's the easy one. Yeah. You know, and then we threw in uh, Manix, which Ooh. was also written by Lalo Schifrin, which is a jazz waltz. And I had a kid, I had two set players. They're both seniors and are gone, who just like mastered the jazz waltz. Once I like threw it at him, he he took it and ran. And that's what made it really click. And then our we third song was, uh, we did the Maxwell Smart, the Get Smart theme. Oh yeah, but did it as a twelve-eight Afro-Cuban. Wow! And that was a lot of fun. And then yeah. that segued into a little lesser-known theme written by Dave Grusin. The show was called "The Name of the Game," and it's it's in a fast seven. Oh, nice! So everything was odd meters. That's amazing! Yeah. I love that. And I, you know, it's funny. I did an episode, God, I guess a year or more ago on crime jazz. Oh. Because I had a collection, a two set collection that I think came out in the 90s. And a lot of the music you just mentioned was on that collection. It's a oh. great collection. Yeah. Well, I'm being an avid subscriber to uh, music is not a genre. I'm going to have to go back into the archives and make sure. Uh, I, and I recommend yes. that to everybody, by the way. <laughs> I get a dollar. My, 
<laughs> that's what thank you yes exactly i'll give you the money later yeah you get you do you get access to all of the episodes of patreon perfect so, yeah. oh i'm so glad i can do that <laughs> what a great idea hmm you commercial music yeah so that's the fun stuff you know and I'm not, I'm not at liberty because i don't know when this will go uh broadcast and i'm not at liberty to talk about uh next year's well this year's now uh mm. show but there is some film music involved but a completely different theme. I I love film music and TV music. Yeah, you know, the good stuff. Yeah, the stuff that actually had a melody and lyrics. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I mean some 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 music composers are as good as any classical composer ever. You know, they're just amazing what they've done. You know, and you listen. A lot of those people have double dipped along the way. And uh, if you look at Coming out of Europe in the 30s, these classic composers got into New York, you know, fleeing Nazis, and they got into New York, and it was either like hang around there and do New York television or Broadway or continue on their way to the West Coast because now we had they had talkies. So there was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you look at those people, you know, like, you know, like you know, Max Steiner and Franz Waxman and those people that are just, you know, it's sad that the, like, the average person doesn't listen to, they, they listen to, john williams i mean even fans fans of the, of the music and it's like okay listen to john williams and now go listen to like the score of uh captain blood you know from 1935 oh you know? and even you know it's like this the intensity and what they get across and you know it's like you're there which is them doing their job it can make you feel like you're there at that moment and evoke an emotion it's like they're doing their job even if it's an incidental music Psycho. It's like, okay, where's this going? I know she's driving in the car. We don't know where she's going. Oh, the music doesn't isn't going anywhere. It's meandering. You know, and I love that. I just love that stuff. God, yeah, that's beautiful. I I guess I mean, yeah, John Williams. I the one the one the film composer I always name check when I talk about them is Elmer Bernstein. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Love him. Michael Giacchino from The Incredibles and a ton of okay. other stuff now. Okay. You know, I love listening to him too. He's got, I mean, he's got more of a, a genre thing going on. Nonetheless, I mean, his music is just so action packed. You know, he does some great stuff. And you know what? There's the guy, his name slips my mind right now, but he's really getting out there. He's the guy that did the theme to Yellowstone. I should have written that down. Oh, uh, shoots he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lynn, Lynn something, I think his name is. He, you know, he, he's, he did some movies before. I had no idea. But like when Yellowstone and then the, this partner series, 1883. And it's not, he does other things too, but he's got some real interesting takes on creating mood and mm. using instruments that like you wouldn't, for a fact, that you wouldn't think belong in that time period. Ooh, which is yeah. kind of neat. Yeah. I really like, and that's the kind of stuff that I like doing my percussion ensemble. It's like, okay, we're going to take the, the, the bass bow and we're going to use it on the vibraphone or the cymbals or the crotales to create that <sighs> ethereal sound. And it's like, what? You have three different sets of wind chimes. Well, yeah, there's the regular ones. There's the chromatic ones and there's the whole tone ones. And, oh yeah, I'm going to get the <laughs> pentatonic ones. You know, what a geek, right? <laughs> awesome. Yes. I think we need the pentatonic wind chimes here. You know? <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you prefer, as far as film music goes, the orchestral bass music or, or do you also listen to the more kind of electronic ambient atmospheric uh, scores i'd lean towards the orchestral stuff because of the comfort zone and understand the production of it yeah uh, but i'm always up for a new sound 
You know, yeah. It's like, yeah. Okay, what is that? Is that an acoustic instrument they've modified, or is that a completely generated sound? I, I know how to ruin a movie, by the way. It's not about what's going on on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> He's behind the rock. Yeah, but did you hear like that? <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on Danny Elfman? I like Danny Elfman, and it's funny that he's he's coming up. Uh, you mentioned him particularly because someone asked me about A Nightmare Before Christmas just like two days ago. They said, oh, you know, so-and-so never saw the movie. And I go, I've never watched the whole thing through either. And I said, only, I said, I don't know, maybe I wasn't in the right place at the right time, and I just wasn't digging it, and I never got back to it. I like, I mean, if you take, take it back to, like, Batman, the first, the 1989 Batman. Yeah. And it's like, I dig that score a lot. You know, I really do. And listen to some other thing. Like he, I think he did the score to Gotham as well, the TV series. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then a couple of other ones too. What's the other one? Penny, Pennyworth. Oh, you sure. Yeah. About Alfred, which is really neat because it's like, a superhero theme in three. Oh, whoa. And it's like, I now I want to go back because I know I, I had that in the back of my head. And because uh, I was going to do a superhero show, but then COVID squashed it. And I was going to like work that in there. But anyway, I like the way he creates mood. With my limited listening, it's the same mood, which is not wrong because right, he's right, working, right. working with Tim Burton, who... <laughs> was <laughs> the same kind of film again yes. not a criticism just yeah. a comparison it's like well let's see we need some let's see we need something dark and creepy here danny can you help me out <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah got it <laughs> yeah who else yeah no i know it's i mean i'm oversimplifying it to be funny but he's done some really cool stuff and like i don't know the whole breadth of his work but i know that i do enjoy it because it's it's just like very fitting yes yes and that's that's the key. Does the music reinforce what I'm seeing on the screen? And is what I'm seeing on the screen reinforce what I'm hearing? Right. And the sum should be greater than the parts. Totally true. Yeah. You know, and the same thing is like that's the way like competitive marching band is kind of done too. You know, it's like, am I seeing the sound? Am I hearing the movement? You know, they call it visual musicality. Oh. You know, when you're dealing with the upper echelon, let's say the more competitive bands is probably a better way to say it. Okay. And it's like that's that becomes then the challenge. And that's that defines the top five from the other ninety sometimes. So that's like choreography for the band then or Yeah, yeah. The yeah, the movement on the field. Yeah. You know, does okay. it make sense? If you have a flowing metal melody, why do you have you have this beautiful soaring melody? Why are there boxes? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, I mean, that's over a simplification, but they, it gets way more than that. And that's when I would call, you know, I never wrote drill. I have no clue. I would have an idea. And most of the time was like, yeah, okay, well, we'll let you, we'll get back to you on that. <laughs> oh, got it. Yeah. But it would go the other way too. We really want to create a hit here. Can you make a musical hit here when this form comes into place? You know, I mean, it was, I'm being silly before, but it's like, there's a lot of back and forth to modify both things. Oh, yeah. I need 12 counts, not eight counts to get to this set. What can you do? Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Same you idea. Hit your mark. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned before that, you know, a lot of schools have been struggling with staffing or, you know, populating the bands. And do you think that's largely because of new schools opening and redistricting or does it have to do with budget or what, what, what are the factors there? All of the above. I mean, there's, and 10 more. Nah. There are less people going into the career of education, the profession of education. Mm -hmm. The numbers are down. Yeah. Why is a whole nother conversation? Even then, it's like when you look at like, okay, we, we had a, 
our vocal teacher, I'm pointing to where she has her room. Uh, nice. <laughs> she, yeah, she's not on maternity, so we want to get a long-term sub. Figure, wow, what a great opportunity for somebody who wants to get their feet wet. Only two qualified people applied. And they both then, after they were actually approved, bailed because then they got full-time jobs. Hmm. So I picked up an extra guitar class. Another, our uh, math teacher, who's also my assistant, who's a marvelous musician, Canadian trained. He's, he's an engineer and teaches AP Calc and Stat and diddles around by playing Beethoven sonatas and directing our select choir. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I'm, I'm blessed. And he's got percussion chops. <laughs> yeah, God. You know, so like, and, and he's in the building, which has always been a problem. You know, I had a staff of 10 people once and, you know, during my heyday and none of them worked in the building. And I couldn't have rehearsals until 5.30 at night when they left their jobs and came here. So uh, none of that anymore. Everything's, but anyway, there's a shortage of, of people. There's a shortage of even greater shortage of qualified people, which could be a whole bunch of things, you know, when you look at pay and everything. But at the same time, I think a lot of that, the education problems lie in there's so much extra stuff you have to do, even to graduate with an education degree. It's just, you have bombarded with things that are required and you do need to know now, but it's really got to be five years. I had the luxury of having extra time and only doing the education stuff. Like when I went back for certification and had all the other stuff out of the way, it's like, why do I need reading and content area? But I never had a special education class. Even in my first job had, everybody was mainstreamed and I wasn't allowed to know who they were because of the state rules at the time. And I literally had a kid reading on a high school level, sitting next to a kid. And I'm being, I remember their faces, mm -hmm. a kid who could barely write his name legibly. Oh, and this would be wow. seventh grade. Okay. Oh boy. And I wasn't allowed to know. And I wasn't allowed to mark my book. And I had to have a secret list or else I was in defiance of state law. And I went to the special ed teachers and go like, I got to know. Cause like, I'm, I got to know what's going on. And I leveled the playing field by doing individual projects. Mm. And I would go to the teachers and say, okay, is this good for Susie? And they go like that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and we'll work with that gives us something, a project to do with Susie as well. And as long as I, did they try, did they do their best? Yeah. So I gave them a hundred, right? Because I don't know what Susie's capable of doing. And the special ed department was more than happy, especially the self-contained special ed was more than happy to work with me on that. And everybody complained about the special pro, you know, why do I have to do a report in music class? You know, it's prep time for real teachers. <laughs> and uh, yeah, really, I heard yeah. that once. The good part was most people embraced it, but a lot of people didn't. And then they started even complaining to the administration. So then I remember doing that for a couple of years. And then they got this new assistant superintendent who said, you know, the way we can help students is by giving them individual projects so we can truly assess their abilities. And all of a sudden it was a wonderful idea. It's oh. like, can I have her pay? Like, I've been doing this for three years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, to me, it just made sense. You know, I wasn't trying to make a point. And it's like, I just... It's like, why do I have blank papers coming back on simple questions? And I'll tell you the truth. I'm teaching music appreciation right now the same way I did in middle school. I'm teaching with the exception of my AP music theory class and a couple of kids in my band class. I'm teaching middle school and everybody. And we were talking about that this morning. Uh. And it's filtering up because we were at Camden County College. I'm walking around. I'm not, not only looking at the people, but their behaviors. And it's high school. Ah, Interesting. Wow. And that's not a slam. It's just an observation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, what yeah. about that? Of course, if we're teaching middle school, then you go to college and they're finally in high school. Not everybody. It was just a very general observation. But in my classes, I 
I'm teaching the same content about instruments right now that I did to sixth graders. And I have people still failing tests, quizzes, spell guitar. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like six of them that have a, you know, an educational plan says you can't, can't count spelling. And that's the stuff that teachers aren't being, weren't, I wasn't taught that realistic, you know, about teaching. And I should have had like three more classes about day-to-day stuff, but it wasn't the, the law then. Now it is. Yes, things change so much, you know, and, and I, I mean, we can, there's a whole other podcast just talking about the state of education and how hard it is for teachers and all that. And my daughter is, well, I guess, like you said, in her fifth year, it, she graduated undergrad for education and is now in a one year, it, but it's a 12 month grad program to finish out that education and ESL, I believe. Sorry, from July, this July to next June, and then she'll be certified, ready to go, and probably placed in a school down in D.C. where she's where she's learning. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, she's a teacher. My wife's sister was a teacher for years. Another good old, old friend of mine switched to teaching about a decade ago from what he was doing. And all of them say the same thing, just all of the difficulties you go through. I know so many teachers who talk about that. Yeah, the, the language barriers are tough, and depending on where you are. I mean, we have, you know, an ESL program here. There's 13 different languages being spoken in our building. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and poverty is much higher in the suburbs than it has been. You know, we have like 60% of our school population is on free or reduced lunch. You know, and that's across the district, though, not necessarily our building, but uh, I, I remember seeing that statistic. And, and, you know, it's one of the things, too, it's like, and then the parental structure has changed drastically. Sure. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's like growing up, say, let's say through elementary school, that maybe one or two moms worked. Right. Otherwise, they were housewives. And, you know, it was like, you know, the Halloween party and, you know, like there'd be 20 out of 25 moms there. Uh, right. You know, you know, it's just just the nature of economics, the need to do that. You can't. Yeah, they have to work. Yeah. And that whole concept of like, you know, I have to go home and watch my baby brother. You know, so I can't do this, that or the other, you know, and that's like a lot more common than it used to be. So it's like, you know, it's not bad mouthing anybody who's poor. It's just an observation of the societal trends that make what we do more challenging than it has been in the past. It's our jobs, professionals, to roll with it and do what we need to do and adapt accordingly and still make. I can't base my band program upon what I used to have or what I, w- or I wished I did have. This is where they are. This is what we're doing. And we're going to do this kind of music because that level of music, because that's all we can do. And it's fine. And we'll just do it well. And it's like that everywhere else. And fortunately, I don't have the state breathing down my neck the way a lot of other people do. Because if you don't pass this, you don't graduate. Now, you have 101 chances to do something about it. And if you're truly not capable, there's accommodations and modifications are made. But nonetheless, it's like, I look at what students have to do to pass algebra two in order like algebra two level stuff in order to graduate. I can't do it. Right, right, Never right. Did. Well, I also used to cut algebra two to go to orchestra, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And finally the teacher's going like, you just, you can't, you can't keep cutting my class. And it's like, <laughs> but I'm going to orchestra. I know you are. I'm accepted as a music major. I know you are, but you can't. Do- yeah. How about if you drop the class? I'll I'll say it's okay to drop the class. I'm like, okay. <laughs> she was so kind to me when she could have, she could have ripped into me and made my life miserable. Yeah. But like, she didn't. She was so. trying to understand. 
I mean, I think that's part of what I, I, why I think you have such, you know, longevity and success as a teacher is your willingness to understand what the kids are going through, but also to adapt to what's going on and not to live in, in the past when it, you wish you had something or could do it a different way. You just have to go with what's here now. Yeah. I mean, and it's fortunately more and more people are getting that way. And then if you listen to, or there's a band director's Facebook site, site out there that, and it astounds me some of the questions that pop up. And not not to make fun of those people. They're youngsters, usually youngsters. Oh my God! I said I'm whippersnappers. <laughs> uh, you can tell they're younger teachers, and they're they'd ask a question. They'll post a picture. What is this thing? And I'm thinking to myself, why don't you pick up the catalog and look? You know, like you know, you can got to get a clue. It's usually percussion equipment, which is ridiculous, right? And it's like, well, just look a little bit, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't blame them because they're. Oh, I know they're overwhelmed. And they had one semester, if not just, yeah, one semester of percussion. And if you're a violin player, you're going anyway, right? And what do you do? And it's like, well, you ask people, fine. You know, you don't have the time to do what you did before. It seems to me there's a big lapse in education too. Like they're not prioritizing things properly. Yeah, I agree. Based on the questions I get, or see, I should say. You know, and then you get the people that are snotty and think they're all that. And, you know, oh, I'm only going to have six tubas this year. I don't know what I'm going to do. And usually it's like, just shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a $10,000 grant and I'm not sure. Or no, more like a $100,000 grant. I need to buy a half a dozen tubas. What brand do you recommend? Okay. <laughs> yeah. What a problem. Right. Yeah. But, you know, in all the things that are challenging in this situation, my situation, and I'm only speaking for myself that my budget is like re- rarely does my budget not allow me to do what I need to do. There you go. Yeah. And I have my, my supervisor also takes care of the phys ed area, but he was in band when he was in high school oh. <laughs> and he gets it. And, you know, as long as, Great. you know, he's like totally on board, supports me a hundred percent. And my principal is also, when I said like I'm having trouble like recruiting, well, what do you need? Do you need you need release time to go down to the middle schools? Like we can make that happen. I mean, like totally on board. Like I trust you, so tell me what you need to make this program work to the best of what you got. Wow, that's lucky. I'm blessed. Yeah. And, they, and my administrators like come to the concerts, which apparently is a rarity. Jeez. My colleagues. Yeah. I'm so fortunate. Uh, Keith Williams is my supervisor. Okay. That's another okay. Story. Another dollar. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I am blessed that way. And that's making things a lot easier. It's like, okay, like we're going to leave you alone because you know what you're doing. However, you know, you have, here's the rules we all have to follow freaking lesson plans and stuff. And it's like, what, you know, with all the other stuff, you're fine. You let me know if you need help, you know? And it was, it's not dismissive because I can go there anytime and ask a question. He's God, like, that's great. Wow. Well, we're coming up on time in a few minutes, and I have three more questions for you. I'll, I'll edit. Go. Okay, great. Uh, you don't have to rush. You've been to Iceland. You've been to Greenland. You've also been to the North Pole. Tell me about that. Well, that'd be Greenland. Uh, so that was your North Pole trip. Right. We had Thule Air Base, which was established in the 50s as a top secret base, radar base. Oh. Yeah, we they still had the radars there. They looked like uh, basically the size of football field on railroad tracks and you could look at the whole top half of the world like before there was like satellite imagery the way it is now okay but it's also located above the arctic circle and 60 miles south of the polar ice cap oh wow so as far as i'm concerned that's the north pole absolutely if you're in, in that circle yeah 100 percent. yeah I've, I've always been fascinated with the south pole so i and i don't know as much about the north pole but there's nothing there just ice yeah 
Yeah. 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 It's really cool though. <laughs> it sounds cool. Yeah, you can't wander around though, because if the wind starts blowing, it goes below a hundred degrees below zero very quickly. Oh god. And, you know, do not try to go to that building if it gets to this point because we you'll you'll miss the building and we'll find you at spring thaw yeah 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 really that was the yeah. words we're like there's no way wow oh my god yeah and so tell tell me the question to uh tell me about this uh universal life church ministry oh. <laughs> yeah. well i'm going to say it's like if i've been am i a religious person i'm a more spiritual person mm-hmm. and you know and, and dabbled in some different religions you know catholic most of my life and even became a knight of Columbus. And then there's things I didn't like so much and started experimenting with or visiting other churches, probably a better way to explain it. And and anyway, at one point, two years ago, my bestie from way back, his daughter was getting married. Now, his daughter and my daughter would like share cribs. They're like a couple of months apart. So like, you know, as families, we get together. And then they had another daughter that's same age as my son. So, you know, it was a lot of kids stuff, but we would get together and we're just fine. And anyway, so the older daughter was is uh, was getting married and neither her husband wants to get married in a church. They want to get married at this country club yep. and do it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, they need an officiant. And it's like, OK, so we need an officiant. And, and they all just like looked at each other and went, Uncle Bob. Oh, be perfect. for they, they she calls me Uncle Bob. Nice. So then that's the picture I sent you when I'm standing there. I was just ready. They were coming towards me to be married. Yeah. You know, suit. Obviously not the one with the trombone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be so a fun wedding. I went online and asked, I knew some other people who were, had done some online uh, ordinations and I found uh, that's the one that like, I liked the most and they were, uh, so I, I did it and then did the reading and, uh, you know, took it seriously to be prepared and, uh I, I married them and which made me really happy. And it's like, you know, I got to do, um, that was, that's my first and only that happened in what, April, April last year. I haven't married anybody else since, but, uh, and I have to go through more training if I want to do funerals or, uh, other things, but I like it. You know, it's like, it was a, it was a wonderful moment. Even if I marry nobody else in my life, it's fine. And because it was such a special, special day to do something for who's basically like one of my kids. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. My, uh, Catherine and I just got married in November and we tied, we got, I don't, she was from a different church, but it was the same kind of thing, like non-denominational. And did I know that? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, congratulations. We really, Cause I think we'll, I have really to, that. we'll have to catch up. Yeah, exactly. We'll that later. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Go ahead. <laughs> which, uh, which leads me to my final question. Cause it could be an opportunity. And that is, I will be working on a new album next year. If I need a trombone, would you be up for that? Absolutely. Yes. Give me a head start, get my chops back, but the reading's there. <laughs> ah, not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I would be honored. Oh, God. Excellent. I haven't had live uh, horns on my recordings in probably 20 years, so it would be a real treat for me because they've always been one of my favorite things. So. And by any chance, for some reason, it doesn't, it can't happen for whatever reason. I know, I you know, we all know each other. You know, trauma oh, players. So nice, you don't have to worry about that. Nice. But I mean, you know, I'm playing like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go start playing long tones right now. Get ready. All right. Oh, yeah. all right. <laughs> well, Bob, thank you so much for spending this time with me. It was, I like, I like, learned a lot and it was just a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure too. And since I have 29, oh no, there a couple of seconds left. So yes, I'm not going to the book that I don't have written yet, but <laughs> you notice there's stuff on there about firefighting. <laughs> I'm writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> 
But believe it or not, actually kind of falls in, though, into the same circles as band. I'll tell you why. Because it's funny you should ask. <laughs> if you look at the history of, of volunteer firefight or firefighting that was mostly volunteer in southern New Jersey, that and that's what the book is about, that it's a reflection of the society and what people were doing and how they lived and how they entertained themselves and all the things attached to the whole society, which bands did. And tons of fire departments had bands and community bands because it wasn't Little League yet. Everybody played in a band. And then actually that went on to Drum and Bugle Corps. But nonetheless, though, it's still a reflection of like what was going on in our towns 125, 130 years ago. Wow. And, and I find that fascinating. And even though my book is mostly about the equipment and not the social history, but obviously it's it's included sure. that when you look at the fact that Mount Holly has the oldest fire department in the United States, Burlington County. Wow. Haddonfield is number two and Woodbury's not far behind hmm. from the Revolutionary War times. Incredible. So there's a whole bunch of history <laughs> that is wow. fascinating. I you know, would love that book. Certain companies have this history, and you all you have to do is get, get these worse than me. You get these old guys talking, and they just babble. Yeah, you just stand on my recorder yeah. and they go, and they're like, yeah. "Well, we got the horseshoeing bills here somewhere." <laughs> like, literally, amazing. So, well, yeah, that's fascinating. When you when you have it written, let me know because I'll be the first one to get it for sure. Okay, it'll be eight years from now at least because I got five more before I retire, and then I can okay, good, it. good. Yeah, I'll be ready by then. Yeah, I'll be all <laughs> caught up. Uh, thanks again for talking. Absolutely, and thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching. As always, uh, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. I will talk to you next week. Thank you. Take care. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.